Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor David, Pastor Nicole. Uh, It is such an honour to be with you guys. It's such an honour to meet you. Um, As Pastor Nicole just mentioned, we connected just recently through my ministry with Theos University, but I have actually been stalking, if you will, uh, the ministry of Pastors David and Nicole for many years. Um, Their ministry has had an incredible impact on my life. And um, I don't really know how to fully articulate the impact that they've had on my ministry and my life, all I can say is that when I was a youth pastor in my mid-twenties and I came across an album that you guys released, uh, I got under the anointing that was on them and all I can say is I needed what they were carrying. I needed what they were carrying and I believe you guys that Dallas, Texas needs what you guys are carrying. I believe this nation needs what you're carrying. I believe the world needs what you're carrying and I'm so excited to see what God is doing here. I believe that it's in its embryonic stages uh, in comparison. God is doing something awesome right now, but in comparison to what God wants to do in this place, I'm so excited about what that looks like. And um, as I joined you guys in worship this morning, I almost forgot that I was preaching this morning and I was just lost in worship. And I just said, Lord, I just feel like, I don't know if you've heard of Simeon, and Anna in the temple, who were both in the temple as Jesus was brought into the temple. Sorry, I must be too close to the fold back over here. Um, They were brought, Jesus was brought into the temple and Anna and Simeon were in the temple and they got to witness what God was doing in that moment in their generation. And they began to prophesy, they began to overflow with the Holy Spirit. And I just felt this morning as we were in worship, I said, God, thank you so much for bringing me into this house to allow me to witness what God is doing in this place and to prophesy what God is going to do in this place. I truly believe with all of my heart that people are gonna come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, from all over the world to this house to encounter the anointing that is in this place, to come to the dwelling place of the Lord in this house. And I believe that this house will be a place that just um, hosts the intense presence of God the intense glory of God in a way that isn't common everywhere, in a way that is just so significant and so intense in this place. And I wanna share a little bit about uh, that dwelling place of God this morning. But uh, so in in the words of Pastor David, get ready, get ready, get ready, amen. I believe God wants to do something significant in this place. And I say all of that to say, it's not because I feel like I am significant and I have something to change your world, but I believe that God is doing something significant in this house. And I'm happy to be the donkey that delivers the message this morning and just releases what God wants to do in this place. I'm so honoured and thank you guys so much for trusting me with your platform, albeit too tall for me. (laughs) 
um, thank you so much for the honour of sharing with your church. And Dwell Church, it is such an honour to meet you guys. I feel like I'm part of the family now. I am your crazy cousin from Australia, from down under. Your crocodile wrestling, kangaroo riding cousin from Australia. Um, it is such an honour to be with you guys. And just to share a little bit about my background, as Pastor Nicole mentioned before, um, I am half Persian, half Irish. Uh, I was born in England, raised in New Zealand, and then found my way to Australia uh, with my parents at eight years old. I didn't just sort of swim over by myself. Uh, I ended up in Australia and um, my dad growing up in Iran, my mum growing up in Ireland, dad grew up um, Muslim. So he actually grew up, you know, believing in Islam and his family is all Muslim. And so when we got to New Zealand, my mum had actually converted to Islam to marry my dad. And so I was born into a Muslim family. And we uh, had an auntie that came to live with us from Iran. And she came to live with us. Uh, she was doing some crazy things. Um, she, she was schizophrenic at the time. We didn't realise that she was schizophrenic. My mum, being Irish and not Iranian, just put it down to cultural differences. Thought, you know, she was crazy because maybe this is how all Persians are. Um, no, they're not that crazy. So, um, you know, um, my auntie would, would do things like threatening to kill my dad and different things like this in, in our home. And we got to a stage when I was about five or six years old, um, I had a younger brother and sister all under the age of five and my mum got to a point where she just couldn't handle what was going on in our home anymore and so my dad w was always out, he's a professor of robotic engineering so he was always out you know pursuing that and our mum was left at home with us and my auntie and she just said I can't do this anymore and my dad um, you know being a, a, a young academic and you know this family over in New Zealand didn't have much money and all this stuff he's like what can I do I can't kick her out on the streets I don't know what to do you know she's our family and mum just said okay that's it I'm going to take the kids and I'm going to go and yeah so we ended up living in a women's and children's shelter for a little while when I was about five or six years old and at that time, we actually had, we didn't know this at the time, but we had a life group from a church just like this, a Pentecostal church called New Life Church in Palmerston North, New Zealand, that started praying for my family. They knew um, my, myself from, from my school and they knew my brothers and sisters and they knew my parents through uh, school. And so they started praying for our family. And as they started praying for us, we had a neighbour who also went to the same church who went to this Pentecostal church and she reached out to my mum and she had often been talking to my mum about Jesus. Mum had grown up Roman Catholic so she was like, yep, I've seen it all, I've heard it all, I don't need that, you know, I, I don't want religion, I'm not interested in anything that you're talking about. Thought this lady was a little bit weird as well, to be honest. And so this lady would pray for my mum. She's like, can I pray for you guys? Uh, my sister was born with a cyst on the end of her spine and so uh, as she was praying for my sister one day, mum just noticed that there was something real about what this lady believed in. There was something that she carried as she prayed that mum couldn't deny. She knew that there was an authority, there was a weight on what she was praying. And so she took note of that. And then later on when this sort of happened and the family just broke down, this neighbour 
reached out to my mum and she said, hey, I know everything looks like it's just in a total mess right now. I know that your life is falling apart, but I believe that if you would entrust your life to Jesus, if you would surrender your heart to Him, it'll be a decision that you never regret. If you give your life over to Him, He will make beauty out of this mess. Amen. Can anyone testify to that? Jesus has made beauty out of our mess. Jesus has saved us from the pit that we were in and put us on a high place. And so my mom just broke down. The presence of God was all over her. She just broke down in tears as our neighbor was sharing the gospel with her. And she said, okay, okay, I, I wanna believe in Jesus. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And so she ended up giving her life to Jesus in that moment in this lady's house. Praise God for that. Amen. And then um, just after that, um, this lady and her husband, they were elders in the church that we were from. And so um, they ended up uh, baptising my mum in their bathtub. Very unconventional. I don't know how I feel about bathtub baptisms. Um, but they ended up baptising her. And then my mum moved back in with my dad. And so there was a reconciliation in my family as the light of God came in and started to transform my mum and restore my mum's heart, my mum's life. Mum got set on fire for God. We went to a radical Pentecostal church. So instead of Barney and Sesame Street on TV, um, I just watched reruns of Benny Hinn, This Is Your Day tapes. <laughs> All day, every day. So that's where the, the crazy Pentecostal side comes from. It was like 24-7. I'm not joking. My mum would record it at 5 a.m. in the morning and then just rerun the tapes all day, every day. That's how I got baptised in the Holy Spirit, putting my hands on the screen with Benny Hinn as a six-year-old kid and speaking in tongues for the first time. And so people can say whatever they want about Benny Hinn. I don't care. That's how I got baptised in the Spirit. God changed my life. The power of God touched me in a powerful way through that ministry. And uh, so then my dad, um, my mum said to my dad, hey, would you, would you come to um, church with us? And dad, because, you know, um, his family was back together and, and because he's grown up Muslim, he's like, well, I believe in Moses and I believe in Abraham and I believe in Isaac and I believe Jesus is a prophet. You know, same, same, but different. I may as well go along to this church. And so dad wasn't super committed to Islam, but he had that sort of background. But he started going along to the church. And as he's in the church, it's this Pentecostal church, just like this church. Uh, it's called New Life Church in a small town called Palmerston North in New Zealand. And as he's in the church, um, he's heard about, you know, um, Abraham and he's heard, I was going to say Muhammad. They weren't talking about Muhammad in this Pentecostal church. <laughs> he's heard about Abraham. He's heard about Moses. But all of a sudden they started to talk about the Holy Spirit. And they're talking about the Holy Spirit saving people and setting people free from addictions and the Holy Spirit healing people like the Holy Spirit healed people on Wednesday night. Can we give God some praise for what He's doing in this house? And my dad is sitting in the, in the back rows of the church and he's listening to these testimonies and he's thinking, who is this Holy Spirit? <laughs> what is this Holy Spirit that they're talking about? What is all of this business about, this Holy Spirit business? And my dad, as I mentioned before, he's a professor of robotic engineering. So he studied science at university and did his doctorate in that. And um, so he decided he was going to do a science experiment with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and as 
yeah, uh, you do you, boo, right? He's, he just, whatever, I'm thankful that he did it now. But he just was lying in bed one night decides to do this, this science experiment with the Holy Spirit. And he just, as he's lying there, just says, Holy Spirit, if you're real, then show me. How many know that's a dangerous prayer, especially for a Muslim to pray? <laughs> Holy Spirit, if you're real, show me. And so my dad prayed that prayer and um, he's told me, I, I wasn't aware, like obviously I'm like five or six years old at the time, but he's told me that as he was lying in bed, all of a sudden he felt this wind from the tip of his head to the soles of his feet just cover his body. And just as I'm talking about it, I don't know if you can feel the presence of God all over you. I can feel the presence of God every time we talk about Him and talk about encounters with Him. He just comes and He reminds us of, of His presence. And so my dad had that encounter, but being the scientist that he is, he said, what a coincidence, right? <laughs> what a coincidence. I didn't believe that that was possible. And he lied back in his bed again. Uh, it happened a second time. And then he got up and he tried to close the, the windows and the blinds. He's like, what's going on? Thought there was wind coming through the, the window or whatever. Nothing was open. And so one more time he went back to bed and he felt the wind of God just blow all over his body more violently than before. And he heard the voice of God saying, I want to show you that I'm real. I want to show you that Jesus is real. Isn't that awesome? Can we give God some praise for that? So I love the power of God. I love what the Holy Spirit can do in an atmosphere of faith. I love Pentecostal churches, churches on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit because not only did it change my parents' lives, but it has changed our lives. It's changed my life. It's changed many lives through my life and ministry. I'm all about the presence of God and the fire of the Holy Spirit in the church. No, I've been in, in California for the past month now. I've been ministering around. Um, I am going back to Australia soon. So, you know, don't worry about like kicking me out. I, I will leave soon. The government doesn't want me here for too long. So, you know, but I, I, I try to blend in, like to start talking like y'all, like my, I get my Texas accent on, you know, like, and I've been in California for the past month. How's that? Not, not very good. You're like, stop, stop. You're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I've been in California for the past month and I've discovered uh, these candy uh, in California. Um, and it's a special type of Mexican candy. I don't know if you guys have it here, but this Mexican candy, we have nothing like it in Australia. They take the candy and they add chili powder to it. Has anybody had this? Any Mexicans in the house? Yeah. Sorry if it's not Mexican and I'm being very offensive to whatever country it actually comes from. Very culturally inappropriate. But I think it's Mexican. And there's this, this chili powdered infused candy. And now that I've had this candy, I am addicted to this candy, right? I can't ever go back to normal candy again. I don't want normal candy back in Australia. I'm going to be having to import this Mexican candy from America over to Australia. Uh, why? Because it is on fire. And, and when you've tasted of the fire, you can't go back. And in the same way, when we taste of the fire of God and the power of God in the church, normal mundane Christianity without the fire of God is nowhere near what we want to see anymore. We've experienced too much. We've encountered the fire of God. 
we're not going back to where we came from. Amen. Amen. And I just want to stir something up. I believe that God is already stirring up revival fires in this place. And I truly do believe, as I said before, that people will come from all over to experience, to taste and see what God is doing in this place. And I believe that the presence of God is in this house. And I just want to stir that up this morning. Charles Spurgeon says this, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire. We are useless. Leonard Ravenhill said this, The only reason why we don't have revival is because we are willing to live without it. Arthur Wallace said, At the heart of every revival is the spirit of prayer. At the heart of every revival is the spirit of prayer. And you know what? I believe that it is such a significant time in this church. I believe that this Sunday is a significant Sunday. You know, Pastor David and Nicole have been telling me about how you guys are coming out of a series that you've been doing on prayer and stirring up prayer in this church. And I have seen as I've studied Pentecostal revivals and moves of the spirit throughout history that every revival that has started has started in response response to people who started to take prayer seriously, to churches and people of God who got hungry for God in prayer. And today is Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate the triumphal entry of the presence of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. We celebrate that triumphal entry. And when we celebrate that triumphal entry, we are celebrating the presence of Jesus among us and we are anticipating the sacrifice of God for us. So as I was preparing today on what I would share about and just praying that the Lord would sort of direct me into what to to teach about, what to speak about, I really felt the Lord lead me to um, a concept in the Bible, a picture in the Bible that really draws together these two things, that draws together the presence of God amongst us and the sacrifice of Jesus before us. And that concept is, it actually comes together in the tabernacle and the temple of God. This lays a series, it lays a foundation for us to understand what Jesus did and how He restored us into the presence of God. And so today, my message is called God's Dwelling Place. God's dwelling place. This house is called Dwell Church. And I believe that it is prophetic over what God wants to do in this place. He has marked this place as a dwelling place for His glory on the earth. He has marked this place as a dwelling place. And I wanna share about what dwelling places look like today. So in Psalm chapter 26 and verse eight, it says, "'O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 84 verse one to 12. Sorry if this is too much scripture. I just love, I feel the presence of God on the scripture. And so I just love diving deep into the scripture. So it says this in Psalm 84 verse one to 12, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. 
Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself. The significance of this is that the sparrow was worth, even one sparrow wasn't worth the smallest currency in their time. One sparrow, you could get two sparrows for a penny basically then. So when they say that the sparrow found a home, it's showing how everyone, whether you know society values you highly or whether you feel like you're on the lowest rung of society, you can find a home, you can find a place in the house of God. The sparrows found a house. They found a place to dwell, found a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on your shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour and no good thing does He withhold from those who walk, whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in You. One more passage of Scripture I'd love to read to us that talks about the dwelling place of God is from Psalm 63 and verse 1 to 5. You God are my God. Earnestly I will seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise. Dwell Church, can we just pray over the word today? Lord God, I thank you for Dwell Church. I thank you for pastors David and Nicole and what they have planted here, Lord God. I thank you that you are doing a mighty, significant work in this place, God. I thank you for every person that you have brought alongside them, God, to see your vision made manifest in this place, Lord God, to carry out the mission of God for this church and for this house, God. I thank you, Lord, that you are doing something significant in our midst, God. I thank you you, Lord, for the opportunity, even just to be a part of it today, Lord God, that I'm seeing with my eyes what you are doing in this place, God. Holy Spirit, let your glory come and dwell in this place. Lord, let us receive an intensification of the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit like we haven't known or experienced before, Lord. God, let us taste and see. God, let us see what you wanna do in this house, God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that as we talk about the dwelling place, God, I pray that we would be stirred up to be a dwelling place right here in Texas that houses and hosts your glory in a significant way. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen, Amen.
Awesome. So we're talking about the dwelling places of God throughout Scripture, the temples and the tabernacles and these places where people encountered the presence of God. You know, sometimes I've heard people sort of say um, in a way to sort of like poke fun at Pentecostals, like, oh yeah, the presence of God is in the place. The presence of God is everywhere, guys. The presence of God is everywhere. And, and so they sort of say, hey, you know, it, it's, there's no sort of special presence of God. You guys are just off on your own sort of hype fest, um, you know, talking about this presence of God and it's all emotionalism. Um, I don't believe that at all. And I believe that there's a theological backing and understanding that can help us understand the specific presence of God. Although we know that God is omnipresent and that means everywhere at all times, we also know that there is a specific presence that people encounter throughout the Bible. There is a direct presence of God that people encounter, like people like Moses, who encountered the power of God at the burning bush. And the power of God was so intense that he couldn't even wear his shoes anymore. That kind of presence of God where you can't wear your shoes anymore is an intense kind of presence of God. The Bible talks about these intense encounters with the presence of God. Even as I'm talking, I'm seeing the presence of God touching people because you know what I'm talking about. When I talk about that specific direct presence of God that we can encounter in a direct way, we see that this is the presence of God that reigned in the tabernacle, this direct presence of God, that if people came into the direct presence of God without the holiness that that required and demanded, they would fall down dead. Why? Because there was such an intensification of the glory of God in that place, in that dwelling place. The best way that I've ever heard it described by scholars as they're trying to work out how do we describe this difference between the omnipresence of God and the direct presence of God. They say it's like this. It's like light, the analogy of light. When we have light in, in the room and we have these lights and we have sunlight filling a room, you can sort of open the blinds and the sunlight will come and just fill every part of the room. The sunlight comes and it fills every part of the room and all the parts of the room are touched by that sunlight in some sort of way. But you can also get a laser beam, an intense illegal laser beam, and as you get this laser beam, this laser beam has the power to cut through steel, right? This intensification of light carries great power. It is potent. It is intense. And in the same way, God's omnipresence is one thing, but His direct presence is another thing. His direct presence carries the power of God to change and transform and heal, to shift atmospheres, to set people free from addictions that they have been living with, to set demons free out of people. The presence of God, the power of God, this direct presence of God that we're talking about carries the potent power of God to do the work of God in our midst. 
And so we're talking about the dwelling place of God. And as we're talking about the dwelling place of God, we're talking about this this dwelling place that is significant because it houses this intense presence and intense glory of God. I believe that the intense glory of God wants to come and dwell in this house and this place, that we're seeing miracles happen every day. People are coming in and seeing healings and testifying of cancers being healed and people being set free free from diseases. I believe that we're going to see people set free from addictions. I believe that we're going to see uh, financial miracles in people's worlds, poverty broken off of people. I believe that God is going to do great things in this house as the direct presence of God comes and tabernacles amongst us. You know, there are four concepts when we talk about the temple or the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God throughout Scripture. These four concepts, the four things, as there's many different words that describe the temple and the tabernacle and the sanctuary of God, but they all talk about the dwelling place and they stress a few different factors. And these four factors are firstly that the temple and the tabernacle is the residence of God, which stresses His presence. This is the place where God physically dwells. So not where we just know about God, not where we just have thoughts about God and people talking about God, ideas about God, philosophical words, shaping our ideas about God, Christian worldviews about God. No, when we're talking about the temple and the tabernacle and the dwelling place of God, we are talking about the physical presence of God, the tangible presence of God being amongst us. The second thing that um, the temple or the tabernacle means and signifies is that it is a place where God reigns and rules as king, which stresses his sovereignty and his power. So as we are a house for the dwelling place of God, as we become the dwelling place of God, this house becomes a place that starts to establish the kingdom of God on this earth, that starts to see kingdom order coming out of this place. I believe that God is going to raise people up in this house who are touched by the presence of God, who carry the weight of the glory of God, not just into worship or into preaching around the world, although I believe that God will send people out of this house to do that, but I believe as well that God would send people up, raise people up in the education system, in the political spaces. God will raise people up to bring the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God in every area of society, because that's what happens from the temple and the dwelling place and the tabernacle of God. God's sovereignty and His power is established through that. The third thing that the temple and the tabernacle stresses is the holiness of God, the holiness of God because God's holiness dwells there, because God is holy. We, we need to be holy as He is holy. Um, I don't know about you, but I was talking to Tana and Emily last night, and don't they just have the purest hearts? Oh my gosh, God is going to do something incredible through that couple. And we were just talking about, you know, how in different experiences, different church experiences that we're aware of and different things like that, people would have, you know, people on stage and on the platform who were all about the gift, but had such unholy, ungodly lifestyles in the background. And I believe that right now God is purifying His church. You can't mess with the church of God. God wants holiness. He demands holiness. And this isn't to bring any form of legalism on us. When we repent, 
repent when we come to Jesus and say, God, not my holiness, but your holiness. I repent of my sin and I take your righteousness and your justification and your sanctification. We start to walk holy as He is holy. We need the holiness of God in the dwelling place of God. If we wanna see the glory of God, that intense glory of God, I believe that God is calling us to be a holy people, to be people of pure hearts, pure motivations for His presence. And the fourth thing that we see in the temple and the tabernacle is that this is a place where people can approach God in prayer and worship. This is a place where people can come and meet with God through prayer and worship. And I believe that this is a house of prayer and worship. I would love, I feel even right now, I'm just sort of holding myself back to stop prophesying over so many different people, but I would love to pray over the intercessors uh, at the end of the service. I believe that God is gonna raise up a, a generation, an army of intercessors that are going to intercede for a revival in this place, in this nation and the nations of the world. There is going to be a revival of prayer coming out of this house. The dwelling place of God, the dwelling place of God that we see throughout Scripture, um, we see that it starts with the garden temple. The garden temple, it starts in the garden of Eden. And we see that God, although He lives in heaven, He creates man on earth. And God doesn't wanna be a distant God who just rules and reigns His subjects on earth and just gives them commands from heaven and just speaks to them in a distant fashion. No, God actually made a garden temple. And this garden temple was a place that God could come and hang out with people. He made a place to come and dwell with us. He made a space where He could come and live with us. He made a space where He could come and walk and talk with Adam and Eve, just sharing in, in His relational presence with them. There is blessing that comes as we walk and we talk with the Lord. There is nothing greater than being in close fellowship with God, in that relational presence of God. And Adam and Eve had that in this garden temple, this relational presence of God. And as they start to commune with God, they're speaking to God, they decide to go their own way. We know in Genesis chapter three, that sin comes in and sin separates them from the presence of God. It separates them, it puts a wall between them and God. It wasn't what God wanted. God actually didn't intend for them to be separated from Him, but because of sin and because God is holy, He could no longer dwell in that relational presence with man. So we ruined it, we messed it up. This is why we can't have nice things, right? It's because of Adam and Eve. No, just joking. This is why we can't have nice things. So Adam and Eve, they lost the presence of God. And even so much as we've been talking about how the presence of God is like that direct, intense presence of God, how we've been talking about how, you know, if you get into the presence of God and you don't have holiness, you're not in right standing with God, you will die. So it was from their protect, for their protection that God actually banished them, kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. And just to make sure that they didn't go back there and hurt themselves, He puts these cherubim in the front of like guarding these muscular angels ready to fend off, you know, any, any person that tries to come and he puts these swords, these lightning fire swords guarding the presence of God. So we have these lightning, this fire, these cherubim sort of guarding 
the presence of God. We have a tree that was the reason why um, Adam and Eve fell. This, this tree this, that they took the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they fell in sin. But then we also see that God had a plan. So throughout the Bible, we actually see God is restoring His relational presence with man. We see that in, um, in Exodus, God encounters Moses in a real way. He comes to the burning bush and He encounters Moses. And all of a sudden, we see almost this imagery of a reversal of what happened at the garden. All of a sudden, we see that there is a tree, but it's on fire with the presence of God. And so God is saying, what happened at a tree, what you lost at a tree, I'm going to restore store at a tree. I'm going to bring back to you through this tree. We see this imagery coming back to us that the presence of God is saying, I want to come near to you. I want to make a way for you to come near to me. And so Moses encounters God. And then we see that God says to um, the people of Israel, He delivers them from slavery and He says, you will be my people and I will be your God and I will dwell in your midst. He says, I'm going to come and live in your midst. I'm going to move into your neighbourhood. I'm going to move in. Imagine if God just moved in down the street. Oh yeah, that's, you know, that's Johnny, that's Becky, and that's uh, the Lord over there in, the, in, you know, number 23B, you know, there's Jesus over there. Imagine if God moved in on your street. This is what God did with the children of Israel. He had a tent amongst them. He had a tent that every other tent would face. And so God comes and His presence dwells among the people of Israel. And then we see that God um, enables Moses to make this tabernacle and they have the glory of God come and rest upon the tabernacle. And we see the presence of God, the fire by night and the cloud by day leading them. They didn't go anywhere without His presence. I wanna be a people, I wanna be a person who says, God, I don't wanna go anywhere without Your presence. I don't wanna do anything without Your presence. I don't wanna minister without Your glory, without Your anointing. God, I don't wanna just have vain words good ideas. God, I want you to come. I want you to speak. I want your presence. I want your anointing to touch people. That's what changes us. That's what sets people free. That's when the presence of God, it comes and does what only He can do, what man cannot do, what woman cannot do, God can do in this place this morning. And so we see that the presence of God comes and rests on the tabernacle. Then we see that Solomon builds a temple for God. Solomon builds this astounding temple for God. He builds something that is so impressive to the world. It is incredibly impressive. But we see all the way throughout the building of Solomon's temple that God is silent for some reason. Yeah. And the writer of the book of Kings is like showing us all these red flags. He's saying... Hey, Solomon is trying to build something for God, but he's building it without God. He's not building it with the presence of God. Every step along the way that the tabernacle was built, we hear the voice of God speaking and we see the words, Moses followed the instructions of God. Every step along the way of the building of the temple of Solomon, 
we see that it says, and then Solomon commanded, and then Solomon said this, and then Solomon built. Solomon gets people from even who aren't even Israelites to come in and help build the temple, just whoever's good at what they do. People who are building other pagan temples are brought in to come and build the temple. I see so many parallels between the building of Solomon's temple and in some ways the building of the church today. When it goes wrong, when we're building something that's to be impressive to man, when we're building something that's supposed to look good, that's impressive to men, but in reality, it's disappointing to God because it's not led by the Spirit of God. It's not for the glory of God. It's not to house the Spirit and the power in the dwelling place of God. And so Solomon, he builds this temple, but in his own personal life, he's got a complete different story going on. He's worshipping idols. He's going to high places and he's giving them his worship and he's building the temple for God on one side, but his heart is far from God on the other side. And so we see in God's grace, He comes to bless the people with His presence. He brings His presence upon the temple. And so God dwells in the temple of Solomon. But because of what Solomon did, because he has led the people into idolatry, eventually God can't live there anymore eventually the glory of God actually departs from the temple. He can't stay there anymore. Why? Because the people had divided hearts. The people started to walk away from God. They became cold towards God. They didn't honour the holiness of His presence. And so God was like, I can't deal with this filth in my temple anymore. I can't deal with the stench of everything that's going on. I don't want to live in this postcode anymore. I'm getting out of here. And so God left the temple of Solomon. And then we see for hundreds of years, the presence of God does not return. For hundreds of years, the Babylonians come in, they take the Ark of the Covenant, which was the place where God's presence had dwelt. So now the Israelites don't even have an Ark of the Covenant. They don't have anything that signifies the presence of God anymore in their midst. And they see the enemy comes and overrules them and takes them captive. Then the people of God, a remnant, a revivalist group come back and they start to bring the presence of God back. But, but even then, the presence of God was just on a few select people and the presence of God physically didn't come and indwell the temple again until one day when baby Jesus is born. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when that word says dwelt among us, that means that Hebrew word is tabernacled among us. The presence of God came in the form of Jesus Christ. In the body of Jesus Christ, God Himself in all of His fullness came to dwell among the people of God, the people who had rejected God, who had rejected the plan and purpose of God, who had rejected the presence of God, all of a sudden are encountering the presence of God as Jesus, baby Jesus, is carried in to the temple. Jesus was carried into the temple by his mum and dad. Oh, and the presence of God enters the temple once again. Oh, Jesus, the presence of Jesus. Oh, God. You know, God said uh, through the prophets that the, the glory of the former house, the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former house. That was because the physical presence of Jesus would enter through that temple. And as he's entering through the temple in the arms of his mum and dad, Anna and Simeon get filled with the presence of God. They get filled with the Spirit of God. 
and they begin to prophesy. They say, this is the Messiah who was to come. This is the presence of God has returned. We haven't seen the presence of God in this place for 600 years, but here is the answer that we've been looking for. Here is the one who will make a way. Here is the one who will, be, who will bridge the gap of separation that we have experienced for hundreds of years. I love that today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday when we are reminded that the presence of God entered Jerusalem to make a way for us to be back in relationship with a holy God, that that veil would be torn in His flesh and that we would be able to enter into the presence of God once again. And so we see that, that Jesus dies on a cross for us. He grows up, He dies on a cross. And as He dies on a cross, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, Chapter 9 and verse 11, but when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by human by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So here is this picture as Jesus is dying on the cross for us. The Bible says that there is a heavenly tabernacle, that Jesus goes as our high priest, just as the high priest used to go one day, once a year and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat so that the presence of God would dwell amongst the Israelites. We see Jesus, He comes and He sprinkles His own blood of His body that has been broken and sacrificed for us. And as He sprinkles His blood on the mercy seat before the throne of God, we see that in His body, the curtain is torn in two. And all of a sudden we are enabled to walk into the presence of God once more. We attribute His holiness to ourselves. He gives us our holiness. He, he says, you are holy as I am holy. And we are able to enter in once more into the presence of God, that direct presence of God, that sweet presence of God. Not just the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence is, uh, is beautiful, filling the earth. The goodness of God is seen everywhere that we go. In creation, we see this omnipresence of God. But there is something about the presence of God that comes to dwell within us. The presence of the Holy Spirit that comes to remind us of His presence. That relational presence of God that restores to us what we had in the Garden of Eden as we walk with God, as we talk with God, as we live in relational presence with Him. There are four things that we know about the presence of God. I'll finish with this, maybe if our worship team could come. Four things that we know about the presence of God from the tabernacles and the story of these tabernacles throughout history. The first thing that we know about the tabernacle of God and the presence of God is that the presence of God is holy. We know that the presence of God is holy. We can't have the presence of God without holiness and without repentance. 
And so if we need to today, we need to come to God and say, God, forgive me for whatever sin I have in my life. I I repent, Lord, of the things that I don't know what I do. Like, Lord, I'm sorry for whatever attitude, whatever is got into my heart, whatever's dividing my loyalty. God, I just repent before you and I receive your holiness and I receive your grace. We need to enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise and come in holy. You know, there is a certain um, race, um, I I won't mention the name because I think it's a bit inappropriate, but there's a certain race that you can go on that's like a race obstacle course where you get muddy. I don't know if you've seen pictures of those people who are like just so muddy, they're just like wrecked with mud as they're racing and... I was thinking about this just in relation to the presence of God and walking into the presence of God and His dwelling place. If I was racing in one of, if I lost my mind and decided to race in one of those, I'm no athlete, I would never be caught dead doing that. But if I did one day race in one of those races and I was racing there at 9am in the morning and if perchance I had a meeting with the Queen of England at Buckingham Palace at 3pm in the afternoon, How many know that I'm going to go home and I'm going to get changed before I go to her house? (laughs) I'm not going to be entering into her house all muddy and dirty. And in the same way, we can't enter into the presence of God all muddy and dirty. God wants holiness. God wants a revival of holiness. And again, as I said, it's not a legalistic thing. It's not our holiness. It's not by my good works that I should boast. It is by His holiness. It is by accepting His free gift of salvation, by thanking Him for what He did on the cross when He made a way for us, when He sacrificed Himself and poured out His blood so that we could receive His holiness. The presence of God is holy. We see this in the tabernacle. We see a golden lampstand. And the lampstands that we have today, the menorahs, they don't quite look like what the tabernacle lampstand would have looked like. The tabernacle lampstand looks more like a tree. And the wording that's used for that tabernacle golden lampstand, it's all wording and imagery that talks about these blossoms and these leaves. And so we see this tree that is on fire in the tabernacle. And we see here once again that God is reversing what happened in the garden. He is bringing back His presence to His people. He's saying, I'm holy and I want you to approach me in my holiness. We see this through the fire of God. The second thing that we see in God's dwelling place is that the presence of God is relational. The presence of God is relational. We see the bread of the presence, the table of the bread of the presence in the holy place. You know, scholars have talked about what is this bread of the presence? What does this mean? Why do we have this bread here? Because in ancient times, people would come and they would feed their gods. But in, in the accounts that we find in the Bible, it doesn't really look like God wants to eat this bread. It doesn't look like we're coming and we're feeding God something. And so the significance of the table of the showbread is that God wants to come and eat with us, that God invites us to His table. There is something so special about sharing a meal with someone, about sitting down in their presence and relating to one another and just sharing a meal together. 
And God says in His presence, He wants to show us that He is a relational God, that He wants us to experience His presence, that He wants us to sit with Him and eat with Him and dwell with Him. Not necessarily to achieve great things, although we will, not necessarily to do anything, but to sit with Him and to know Him and to get to know Him in a deeper way. The third thing that we see in the presence of God throughout the tabernacles and the dwelling places of Scripture is that the presence of God is powerful. The presence of God is powerful. The presence of God, when the presence of God comes near to us, we see that the presence of God comes and does things that we couldn't do on our own. The power of God, the Bible says in the book of Luke, in um, Luke chapter five, verse 17, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. You think, well, the power of the Lord was present to heal them all the time because Jesus was there with them all the time. But it seems like there was a special power that came in that moment, that there was an intensification of the power of God in that moment, in that space that four guys took advantage of as they carried in a paralyzed man who needed healing. The power of God was present in that place to bring healing. Do you know what? When we, when we become a dwelling place for the presence of God, the power of God, is present to heal, to save, to set free, to deliver in this place. The power of God is present to move. And the fourth and final thing, maybe if the, oh, the worship team's already joined me. Hello, thank you guys. The fourth and final thing that we see when it comes to the presence of God, as we study the dwelling places of God throughout Scripture, is that the presence of God is recognisable. The presence of God is recognisable. We see this in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt the people of God. We see the fire of God come. We see a recognisable sign that the presence of God had indwelt them because they start to speak in tongues. They start to speak in tongues. They start to speak out of the presence of God indwelling them. But we see also in the tabernacle that the altar of incense shows us something about the recognisable mark of the presence of God. I was studying this just early this year. And as I was studying this, in my study, this hit me, this thought as I was reading through, I'll read the passage to you right now about the altar of incense and the incense that they were to offer before the presence of God. It says this, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, a hin of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be sacred and it will be the sacred anointing oil 
oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant law, the table and all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin with its stand. You shall consecrate them so that they will be most holy and whatever it touches, Whatever touches them will be holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not pour it on anyone else's body and do not make any other oil using the same formula. It is sacred and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and puts it on anyone other than the priest must be cut off from their people. Wow, so what is happening in this passage of Scripture? We see that God is setting aside, He is consecrating a special type of anointing oil. And He is saying the fragrance of this oil, this oil that will become the incense that is offered at the altar of the Lord, cannot be matched or copied by any other perfume in the world. He says, if you try and make something that smells the same as this anointing oil, if you try to make something that is the same composition as this anointing oil, you will be cut off from the people. Why? Because God wanted to separate this anointing oil as holy and sacred, and He wanted it to mark His presence. You see, when people would smell that particular smell, they would know that that scent could only come from the presence of God. That scent could only come from the anointing oil that was found in the presence of God. That scent was only carried and marked the people who had been in the presence of God. Dwell Church, I don't know about you, but I want to be marked by the anointing on my life. I want to be marked by the anointing that only comes from the presence of God. Something that the world cannot give. Something that the world cannot offer. Something that can be God nowhere else but the presence of God. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.